What's up, party people? This is Tabby with special guest stars Oreo and the Panda. <laughs> Get ready to dunk me. <laughs> Trigger warning, there are black people in my house. Don't call the cops. They're my guests. <laughs> what did you say? We live in the white part of town? Yeah, I've yeah, actually yeah. only yeah. been inside this area. That's what Brian one said to Just one time. Just, just the, this is the white Welcome to our 2021 review episode. I have two guests to help me take a look back at the year, Dylan and Brian, whom you may remember from our Star Wars episode. The rules are simple. We each chose three things that came out in the last 12 months that were meaningful to us, and everything is also listed in the show notes. So here are the nine modern thoughts of 2021 in chronological order. Welcome back, everyone, to the Modern Life Podcast. Today, we're reviewing the year 2021 and talking about our favorite things I have with me today. Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi. And Dylan. Hello. Perfect. And we're just going to get started. Thank you guys for helping me out today. So we're going to be starting with Brian. Mm -hmm. This is something that came out in March, and it's a video game for the PS, Xbox, and the computer, and it's called It Takes Two. So... It takes two. I actually played this with my current girlfriend, Mira. It's made by Hayslight Studios, which is um, headed by Joseph Fares, which for anybody that's followed the gaming industry, you know that he's the one who's notorious for the fuck the Oscars speech. Um, which one was that? Wait, do I know this one? It was in the 2017 Game Awards where he went on a rant about the Oscars, which he's gained a lot of acclaim for. <laughs> He used to be a film director, but moved into the gaming industries, and that's primarily why he mm. made that rant, because of how you know the movie community, the film industry, treats the video game industry. So ever since then, he's been trying to make like games that have more of a like a, a story point to mm. it. He directed Brothers, uh, Tale Two Sons. Oh, that makes oh. sense, because I was looking at the pictures, and I was like, this looks like that game. And then he started <laughs> Hayes Light Studios and made uh, A Way Out, and then now oh. it takes two. So nice, it nice. and it takes two. It's just it's a really fun game. It's 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 a lot longer than I expected. It's basically two player, um, split screen always. So you can play online split screen. But it's like the perfect game for couples. Um, you know, even friends doing it. It's has a very diverse gameplay element where like where every chapter each character gets like their own special ability to in order to puzzle solve. It's like a a more upbeat uh what's like Portal Two. Yeah, yeah, I've so, seen some. I've seen some gameplay. It looks so awesome. It it does. The worlds are so expansive, and there's a lot to explore. Um, there's a ton of diversity in the powers, even to the point that, like, you know, you play the game a second time through and play as the other character, it's completely different. Hmm. In one level, one character might have um, a hammer that's able to smash things, and also to activate switch, whereas the other one will have multiple nails that they can throw to pin objects down. But then, in, like another level, um, one character will have like 
a sap gun, which can stick to things that can be lit and the sap can be lit on fire or the sap can also be used to weigh things down to climb up. Um, but it's very diverse. The main story element to it is that, you know, you, you two play as a couple that's getting ready to divorce, but your daughter, you know, un upset about this accidentally casts a spell on you that turns you into her dolls that she made of you two. Hmm. And so basically with the help of the book that she was reading that was like a relationship counseling book who has becomes alive and has the most obnoxious Hispanic accent I've ever but heard. But it's, it's so cute. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> that's like it. that's like my that's like my one problem with the game. Like it's such an obnoxious character. <laughs> oh, I thought it was French based on the No. No. It's his name Dr. Hakim, but it's a Hispanic accent. It's like it's like what a Saturday Night Live character thinks um, Antonio Banderas sounds like. <laughs> but still, the whole the whole thing is building it's building you know back relationship and just exploring distant aspects of your life, the characters' lives that they had dropped out over time. And so you know, if, if you want to do like a a two player game with like a loved one's way, but you don't want like the heaviness of like a way out, it's a really good option. I was gonna ask you about playing with another person because does that. Obviously, it never got annoying. I was just thinking, like, how would I want to play this if it was just me? Or how do you... You there, can't... There is no playing by yourself. Mm. It is strictly a two-player game. As I mentioned, it's always split-screen, even if you play online, because you have to be able to time certain things with your partner. Mm. And they actually play with the camera to the point that, like, for certain scenes, your camera might get bigger and take up more of the screen than the others. But mm. in, at first, it was distracting but like eventually we got the hang of it and like after a while you just get used to it and that's like you understand why it has to be played that way i think mm. i've only seen the first hour i mean you only watch an hour but that's like i think we had like nine or ten hours of gameplay it was a lot longer than i thought mm. that is I, I was i was gonna ask how long it like actually was but i look i love those all the stuff that i've seen the story was like super cute uh, the stylization of everything looks so cool and it just like i was like this looks fun Mm. Yeah. So, like, as far as games go, like, that's my recommendation of the year. As someone who, like, has been looking for co-op couch play type games, which don't exist anymore, it was such a refreshing thing to have and to play through. Alrighty, perfect. So, the next thing, we're moving into April, and this was my pick, and it's uh, Mayor of Easttown. It's that show with Kate Winslet. I don't know if you guys have seen the posters for it, or... I've seen, I've seen a couple of trailers. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, again, that's something that was on my list. So I was actually, I was excited that you were going to talk about it because I was like, this looks so good. And it's, it's like this brilliant but dysfunctional cop. And we've seen that like a million times already. So even I was surprised how good it was and amazing it was. And it kind of takes that trope and just runs with it. And it's like, this is what it is and kind of does it to perfection. There's this incredible action set piece in this abandoned house that i went back and watched it like three times because it was just so good i love a good action scene and then also the way the story unfolds and where the show leaves you with its last shot um on the podcast we talk a lot about what is the last shot what is something a director wants to leave you with with the editing room and this show encapsulates that perfectly i can't really go into what it is because it's a spoiler but it was just one of those moments where you finish a show and you're with all the distractions of life going on. Like I wasn't checking my phone. I was I was just kind of sitting in that moment and sinking the show in. And I think it really deserved all its nominations and the awards it got. And yeah, it was just something where you think, oh, this genre has been done before. And then this 
kind of really took me by surprise. Well, they don't normally do this kind of genre with, like, a female lead, which is, like... Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Like, I mean, well, I, I, I probably shouldn't say that. Like, I don't know a lot of stuff that's like yeah. that, because normally it's, like, you know, it's always men cops. The grizzled detective yeah. with the he's got an alcohol problem. and <laughs> I mean, even in SVU, it's, like, it's like always Stabler that has a problem, and then I, I can't even remember the chick's name. But now, without telling me anything, mm-hmm. is there going to be, like, another season? Do you think? Uh, I kind of hope not. I think that's this is what I like about it, that it's contained in the set episodes and not... Like, each episode knows what its own arc is, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, Like, 100%. you feel satisfied after watching each episode while also looking forward to more. I think they could do more with this character of Kate Winslet, but, I mean, it's perfect right now the way it is, so... I don't uh, know. I, I hope so. Yeah, you know, but money... <laughs> Everyone wants money, and so like if it yeah. hasn't, they'll find a way. Yeah, I oh, can see man. that. <laughs> what if Kate Winslet has a daughter? <laughs> Estranged, <laughs> a secret baby. Yeah. <laughs> this whole time, you didn't know she had three basements, and she hates <laughs> cops. <laughs> well, she is a cop, but <laughs> changing from the inside, but her heart was changed forever. <laughs> So the next thing we're going back to Brian, actually, this is in May, came out on the 2nd of May, and it's a TV series, Pose, and that is its third season. Third and final season. Mm. Pose is a drama series brought by Ryan Murphy. You know, FX and I brought you American Horror Story, the mm. American Crime Story, and it is a dramatized look back at the ball circuit of New York City during the 1980s and early 90s. A large cast of trans uh, transgender actors, members of the LGBT community. They even brought a lot of original uh, barroom circuit members to be have cameo roles in it. Mm. There was a lot of people from RuPaul's Drag Race and other series like that. Um, I like that because then you're not just like recreating and taking advantage of this movement, but you're incorporating people from that movement, if oh, you're yeah. including them. That's really cool. It's an amazing series. Beautifully written. St- mm. uh, story's fantastic. Has a lot of focus on color members of the community because that was the focus throughout, you know, kind of like non-white era because, you know, even even for members of the community that were you know, non-white, they were looked down upon about, about mm. the white members of the, you know, who are also in the community, you know, white homosexual people looked down on these people back then. Mm. More, more what I'm bringing up post-force, also the fact that during this past year's Emmys, uh, MJ Rodriguez, the lead role in the series, actually received a nomination uh, for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, something that's never been held by a you know trans person ever in that award series specifically yeah and that's mm-hmm. it um i mean the only the only emmys that have ever gone to a member of the trans community uh, as far as nominations were laverne cox for i believe guest drama actress and rain valdez for short form, form comedy mm-hmm. or drama but like never have they ever given a lead one and mm-hmm. although a, an emmy had gone to billy porter a never main cast member from the series before, you know, people took notice of the fact that, like, the one male out of, like, a sea of tr- a female trans women got a, got a nomination. So, mm-hmm. it's, to me, it's very important that it receives that, even that a nomination was fantastic. Um, I highly recommend the show. 
for anybody that wants to know about that circuit. He taught me, of course, how much uh, how much of our culture now is taken from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot. So of many people... music videos of popular actor or musicians, and like so much. Well, I mean, the actual Vogue style, which you know mm-hmm. people know from Madonna's Madonna, song Vogue, yeah. came directly from the ballroom. It was invented mm-hmm. there, and even now, our internet slang comes from there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows about Yas, but people don't really think about Shady. That was originally a ballroom term. Mm-hmm. Realness. What was ballroom? Slay was ballroom. That all comes here, and now there's just like a ton of people who just like say it, don't really know what it means. You know, I know I haven't said anything about it, but I'm like super excited to watch this series. But just because you were bringing it up, like a lot of the stuff from like modern, like modern day is like taken from that. Mm-hmm. But like you know, you would like talk about like Vogue from like Madonna, which is originally where I know it from. But mm-hmm. now the only thing I can think of it as is Oscar from The Office. Oh, gee. Um, because like you know, he's like he's the gay character in the office, and they do Pam and Jim's wedding, which is like super cute for one of the worst couples in the world. Uh, <laughs> fight me, I'll never be wrong on that. Um, but they go to the dance, and they have like they do that stupid YouTube thing where all the people are like dancing, and like it's Oscar and Kevin, you know, because like they both don't have like a date or whatever, and like it's it's like the best thing because anytime Oscar dances in the series, all he does is Vogue. All the time, 24-7. And, like, a lot of people probably don't understand, like, what he's doing. Because, mm-hmm. like, kids don't know anything these days. And I just, like, I just, I love it because he's just, like, it's just a, that throwback to that homage. Because Oscar is always about, like, like throughout the whole series, like, if you pay attention the way I pay attention and watch something through 25 times, you'll notice, like, certain little subtleties. Like, Oscar's always about, like, he's proud to be gay. He's about, like, gay rights. He wants everything to be done right. He does this little like video in one of the late in like season or one of the later seasons when Robert California is there where he does this like video memoir to like, you know, struggling like gays that it's going to get better. It's going to be okay. (laughs) So it's just nice to like see. And I just like I like voguing's the best. It needs to come back. More people need to do it. (laughs) I mean, it's still done in New York. Ballroom Circuit still exists. But, I mean, for anybody that, you know, hasn't seen the series, or even for those who haven't seen the series, I do recommend, before watching it, watching the documentary uh, Paris is Burning. It's only, like, half an hour long, but it basically was a documentary done to um, explore the barroom circuit during the early 80s. And it shows a lot of the things that you'll come to familiarize yourself with Pose. So you get, like, more context with that, but it also shows, like, just how dangerous the life was. Mm. I mean, the most notorious thing there was they put a lot of focus on one of the members of the ballroom circuit named uh, Venus Extravaganza, who, during the shooting of this uh, of this drama, um, she was murdered uh, by a potential client. So halfway through, they just have to acknowledge that, like, this happens, but... It's just a very strong meditation that you watch that documentary before watching Pose. Mm. It'll make you understand everything much more strongly. Hmm. Um, we're back to me. We're going to the 28th of May. That is when A Quiet Place 2 finally came out. It was directed and written by John Krasinski. Have either of you seen that one? I no. haven't seen the second one. I've seen the first Did one. Did you like though. the first one? I actually didn't think... I was like really unsure how I was going to mm-hmm. feel about it but i fell in love with the first one if you can make me feel like i'm about to like shit my pants and like my heart's gonna rip out of my chest without saying words 
You've yeah. done everything. That was my whole movie experience seeing the second one. My adrenaline was pounding the whole time. The first um, scene in the film has been talked a lot about as well because it's just this amazing action sequence. Um, it kind of goes back to when John Krasinski's character was still alive and gives you a bit of context about the aliens. And then something the movie does really, really well is also plant and payoff. And it doesn't even always try to surprise you with the payoff. It's like, I'm planting this here just to give you anxiety. You know something's going to happen with this, but you don't know when and you don't, you know, like, it's like understanding the audience and knowing that they're smart enough to figure it out, but still giving you that, like, you know, mm -hmm. like scared feeling all the way through. And just the whole movie was constructed and set up so well. It was one of the best films of the year, I thought. <laughs> I, I'm so... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I was just going to say I could, I could agree with that because the, the first one really, like, I walked out of that and there's rarely a time where I walk out of a movie and I just go, damn. Yeah. This shit changed me. It just brought a whole other, like, a whole new level of fear to, like, you know, I'm generally a quiet person unless I'm, like, with people. <laughs> like, I go to work, I drive 10 hours to deliver, and my radio's off, my phone's off, I'm not mm. playing music. I'm just... No, I'm like not even talking to myself. Just, You're living the quiet place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, that's like my choice. But to not be able to do that, it would just be like, oh, so crazy. And yeah. I've had like some pretty weird nightmares about like not being able to talk since then. So that's just what I mean. It's just like it really, and it like brought an interesting aspect to like the world of horror to me. Mm, that's true. And see, um, I know nothing about the sequel. I, I didn't see the first one either. Um, I tend to be really critical of horror so i mean i'll i'll, I'll take a look into it but I, I definitely seemed uh a different take which is what we need especially in uh you know our overwhelming like generic horror in place that we're in right now especially and now with the influx of you know netflix originals which are a lot of them tend to be uninspired so i'll take mm -hmm. a look now mm -hmm. into it mm -hmm. But, like, I mean, I agree with you 100%. The genre of horror is just so generic and lame. And then anybody, anytime it's something good, it's just a remake of something else. I only watched A Quiet Place to see if I would watch, oh, my gosh, what is it, Jack Ryan or whatever? Is that um, action show that John Krasinski's in on, like, Hulu? Yeah, it was a Jack Ryan show. Yeah. Um, Did you like it? I, I, haven't, I haven't, like, gotten it. I haven't mm. had a chance to see it because I was like, there was... I don't remember the movie. I saw it because I was working at uh, Studio Movie Girl, so I could see movies for free. But there was this movie with John Krasinski and the dude who plays Roy, and they were like some like military team that got like attacked or something. It was just some like Patriot masturbate movie. Um, but I was just like, this is. I was like, this is kind of weird because I've only known John Krasinski as you know Jim Halpert. And like when I went to go see Quiet Place, I was like, all right, Jim, I'll see your movie. I'll see what you wrote. And then I was like. Dude, I'm like seriously impressed. Mm -hmm. Like, Agreed. I mean, like one, I've no, I know you're a talented actor because like the the humor in the office and the people who watch comedy don't generally watch it for the acting, which is really sad to me because the acting in most comedies is like phenomenal. Yeah, like even if you don't like The Office, like John Krasinski's performance in The Office is fantastic. There's a lot of times where like he makes you feel things instantly. So being taking away, you know, an actor's most powerful weapon, their voice, and, you know, just relying on nothing but facial expressions, quiet talking, and just like, I mean, emoting through your eyes 
it's just phenomenal. And like Emily Blunt to be on like top of it, like whatever they're married, get over it. Not every married couple has that chemistry. So fuck off everyone. Cause that shit is beautiful between the two of them. And for them to make it feel like they're not themselves is like another reason. Like I haven't gotten to see the quiet place too, because I like what I need to sit down and watch it. It's not something that I want to throw on and just mm-hmm. like, see, I need to like watch it. It was really good. Um, Dylan, you're up next. Finally, we're moving into the 30th of May when Bo Burnham inside came out on Netflix who is Bo Burnham? What is the special? You don't know Bo I Burnham? read the Wikipedia entry and I still oh don't know what it is. I looked a little at the Wikipedia entry. Uh, <laughs> Bo Burnham is an actor, comedian. Like, I mean, he's, he, I, I like honestly don't know all his like criteria because he's one of the most talented people. Inside basically was a special that he did all by himself, made, edited, produced all the stuff, just got the money from Netflix, uh, and it was just supposed to be kind of like a uh, comeback story for him as he started suffering from panic attacks I don't remember what year and it, t- it took him from performing he like started having panic attacks on stage and stuff and like mm-hmm. literally was like struggling with a lot of stuff but I mean he's had a lot of flack because he has this thing called this song called like you know the perspective of God if you're super religious and not open minded it's one of the most offensive things you could ever ever listen to <laughs> but I really liked Inside you know, it came out in May, January, February, March, April, May. I can't do, I'm trying to do math in my head. I found out we were having a baby in like February. And like, you know, so we were like really excited, super stressed out. And then like, we watched this from start to finish. Uh, rarely do I see a comedy special that resonates with me mm-hmm. all the way through, regardless if you're my favorite comedian or not. And if you're doing music, pay attention to anyone who's trying to make music. If you want me to like your shit, it's got to be real. Like, real, real. Not form- Even if it's, like, formulated to the algorithm to make it successful, if what you're saying is real, then it's going like, to mean more. And this special took him, like, six months longer, I think, to make than he wanted it to. So he put a song in there uh, about turning 30. And, you know, I turned 30 this year. So it was May... And, uh, like, one of the lines is, like, I'm turning 30. And I was like, I'm turning 30. <laughs> and it's like, he's just talking about how his life isn't, like, where he wants it to be. Everything's, like, kind of falling apart. And I'm like, I'm in between jobs, yeah. Having a baby, don't know how I'm going to pay for it. Yeah, my life's kind of falling apart. So, it, this is, like, a really good thing to watch. It kind of is, like, an introduction to him. It really will show how talented he is because he did it in a room maybe a little bit bigger than this, but primarily everything that he does takes place in a room about this big and he just has lighting effects and different things. For record, this room isn't that big. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't have any depth perception. This room could be 100 by 100 uh, and it would look two by two for me. We're sitting in a castle right now. Uh. (laughs) Um, So I just like... I I have it on my Spotify, and if something makes it on my Spotify, that means, like, I absolutely love it. Like, my music is everything to me. Comedy is everything to me. So this special just, like, really helped, like, kind of helped me feel better about myself, I guess, in a mm-hmm. way. Because, like, you know, everybody's always like, oh, I need more money, I need more of this. And then it's like, you know, well, I mean, that dude had everything. He was in shows, he was getting movie offers, he was performing all over the world doing what he loved and it still wasn't enough and it like broke him down to a point where he literally had to withdraw 
And like I hadn't realized that the last thing he did was in 2016. So he's been on hiatus for five years. Oh, wow. He actually did write and direct uh, Eighth Grade. Forgot about existence until you brought it up a while back. So Eighth Grade? Yeah. It's called Eighth Grade. It's, it's, it, it, it was a critically acclaimed film like a, co- a growing up comedy and stuff like that oh i mean that would that would make sense i just i mean you know i don't really pay attention to a whole lot of stuff yeah but i but i know he did like some stuff but he stopped performing and he talks about it like he talks about it during his special and like the i'm turning 30 song is like you can like really hear it and he's like it sounds like he's kind of being funny but as like a depressed funny person myself like I can, like you can just kind of know when someone's like really throwing something out there, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's it's fantastic. Like everything, it's so well done. I can't, I will, I'll never not rave about how well done it was, and just how well done it was. Well, just honestly impressive. <laughs> honestly impressive. Like his talent is like I don't, I don't understand. Like one making a like, making music is super hard. It's definitely worth a watch not worth a listen because it's it's better comedy is always better seen performed sometimes you can just listen to music i mean it's 86 minutes i think it's like an hour mostly of music and he's like kind of segueing in between and it's just it's nice to see an artist do something where they're just showing themselves Mm. like no holes barred and everything's on the table and i mean it's scary one to talk about your mental illness, two to do a Netflix special about it, and to throw that stuff out there in the fire in the open flames. And it's like, I mean, so like, you know, I just commend him for that, and that's it's like super awesome. All right, so it's back to me. Eighth of June is when Femuline came out, the newest album by Todrick Hall. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Todrick Hall at all. I am. I am. Yeah. I, I've shown you a little bit of it. I like, I mean, if Brian's, I, pr- I probably know. If Brian says I know him, then I know. He did um, Beauty and the Beat, not Justin Timberlake, the, the Beauty and the Beast parody I showed oh, you. Oh, yeah, back the in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. He did yes, a parody yes, of Hocus yes. Pocus, but like, he, you know, from there his career got like, you know, more serious because he actually started getting like offers. So. Yeah, so I had seen him live back with his house party tour, which was before this one, and it was in a smaller venue in LA. And, like, his thighs are just, like, ginormous. Like, (laughs) this is the best way to describe him. Like, this dude is for real. Like, he's just dancing his butt off the whole show. He's singing live. There were, like, 500 costume changes. They all looked amazing. Just watching him perform, you could tell, like, this is somebody who doesn't cut corners. Mm -hmm. This is somebody who's going to do the best they can every single night. And something that also struck me is he had put up the Instagram or social media handles of all his other dancers. And he's he was actually shouting out other people in the crowd who were singers and performers, and I actually found other artists through that event. I have never been at a concert where somebody did that, where they uplifted so many people around them. And the new album, Femuline, it's, it's so gloriously gay. Like, it just <laughs> makes me feel so good about everything. And, and, you know, every song is just like, you just want to dance to it. And it's like what I listen to in the car on the way to work to get myself hyped up. And just also the way that he uses words. I think it's very easy to dismiss 
pop music. I think when we think of like wordsmiths and people using words in a clever way, we think more of maybe hip hop. But just the way he like strings things together and kind of has these little comparisons and it's just really fun to listen to and figure out all these little references too. So that's it. Todrick Hall. What was your opinion on his performance live? And I'll explain what I mean because being an avid music lover, like I will stop listening to someone if I go to them live and they suck. So do you, no, do you, do you think he was same. like, do you yeah. think he was like being like just like Millie Vanilli? Oh, you probably don't know who that is. I I'm sorry. <laughs> um, like lip singing? No, no, no. It was too close of a stage and you could hear his breathing because okay. he's, he's working okay. out really hard yeah, while yeah, he's yeah, performing yeah. so you can hear him and still he was hitting all the notes and keeping it up. and it's Super impressive. Because when somebody... My first job was in a musical theater mm -hmm. and sometimes when they do these tap dances, I almost want them to just lip sync because they're just breathing so heavily. Because you know when you're watching Singing in the Rain, you do the dancing, lip sync and then like the song is added afterwards mm -hmm. so when you see these things live i'm always impressed when they're like no we're gonna do the singing and the dancing because like i'd be tired after five minutes i don't know people no, do I, it. it's honestly it's super hard it's super yeah. hard if you don't try to do that or have like done one of those things you yeah. don't really understand people performing live and being good live is like that's the only true art form if you're a good artist like, I hate Kanye West now because of who Kanye West is, but I was a huge, avid, like, the first three albums that he dropped, I was like, Kanye, everything, you couldn't prove me wrong. And then, like, I saw a live performance, huh. and I was just like, ugh, okay, wait a, wait a second, wait a second. I was like, I mean, bro, you do a little bit too much editing? Like, you know, maybe hold it back a second yeah, or two. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. And, like, you know, and it's really weird because, like, most people sound different when they record, like, their rap songs as, like, as opposed to when they perform them. But some people sound the exact same, and it's just, like, that's that's what I want. Mm -hmm. And that makes me excited. Like, I'm going to go look up everything from him because you said that. Because that's how much that means to me. Like, mm -hmm. everybody hates Weezer, like, as a, as a band. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen them live one time on accident. <laughs> And I was like, yo, dude, I'm a Weezer fan for life. <laughs> <laughs> this girl I was dating took me to some weird surfing competition. I mean, I like the ocean and shit. Water's cool. But, like, I don't like swimming in deep water. I have this huge mental thing about it. So I was like, oh, whatever. Whatever you want to do, babe. And then she was like, oh, there's a concert here. And I was like, that's kind of weird. But I was like, ah, white people surfing. I was like, makes sense. <laughs> and she, I was like, who's playing? And she's like, Weezer. And I was like, ugh, fine. <laughs> And then, like, we walked by, and they were playing Beverly Hills, and I was, like, triple taken, and I was like, yo, they sound the fucking same. I was like, okay, Weezer, I'm sorry. Fan for life. <laughs> nice. Um, so now we're moving into, we're moving into July, and this is back to Dylan. This is when Disney's Jungle Cruise came out. We're back to Emily Blunt. <laughs> I didn't, I, you know, I just realized that. <laughs> so you had, so you didn't see, so no, you guys, you guys didn't see the Jungle Cruise no, with mm -mm. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You know mm -mm. me. Um, so the Jungle Cruise is literally based off the ride, just like Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, I see. Um, just like Battleship, starring Liam Neeson. No, not just like Battleship, but like Haunted Mansion. <laughs> like Battleship. <laughs> no, 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 because Haunted Mansion, Haunted Mansion was a little bit more accurate. To like the ride, whereas Battleship was like, "Yo, we're gonna fight aliens who shoot pegs," and where this was like, "Okay, I mean, the Jungle Cruise ride is literally." And I've been to Disneyland three times, been on the Jungle Cruise once. Go through a jungle and it's just animals and shit. So I'm a huge wrestling fan. I'm a big fan of The Rock. 
I love Evelyn Blunt, clearly. I was unaware of that until today. Um, but he always does this, like, The Rock always does the same stuff. Like, and I just showed, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I just showed uh, Danielle The Rundown with Sean William Scott. And I was like, this is just like Walking Tall. This is like everything mm -hmm. that you've done. And I was like, you know, I watched Gridiron Gang, and I was like, this is just a watered-down version of the Tooth Fairy. Because it's just like him playing these certain kinds of characters. And I'm going to shout out Dave Batista Because Dave Batista like, a few months ago, or, like, a year ago, I don't remember when, but he called The Rock out and saying that he was a better actor than him. And, every, and some people were like, no, no, no. And I was like, hold up. Just because The Rock gets casted more doesn't mean he's a better actor. Did you see Guardians of the Galaxy? And did you see Central Intelligence? I know they're two different types of movies. One's a comedy, one's a superhero movie, but there's acting still involved. Mr. Johnson is a really nice guy, but I think the way to his approach is more like quantity over quality, if that makes sense. Like he's coming out with so many movies a year, so it makes sense yeah. that they're bound to be kind of similar or he gets cast in yeah. similar well, things. I mean, you know, or... Hollywood is filled with like typecasting. Sorry. Right. Mm -hmm. oh, I was just going to say that, that, you know, that that's how you make money and something like that. Exactly. Of course he's going to write that right now. Yeah. yeah. But I bring, I brought up the Jungle Cruise because, and bringing up The Rock's acting because this is like the first time in a really long time that I've seen him kind of be typecast in this kind of role where he's just supposed to be this big action guy but he actually like approached it differently like hmm. i brought up central intelligence for a reason because that's another movie where he's like kind of doing something different and if anyone has seen be cool it's uh, it stars john travolta it's about the music industry the rock plays a gay country singer which hmm. is fantastic because like no one's no one wants to call him out for being gay because the last person who called him gay he literally threw him off a building but he didn't actually throw him off the building the dude like fell or something and, like, he's just kind of just been, like, using that as, like, an intimidation thing, you know, other than his giant size. It's one of those, like, rare things because, you know, he does come out with a lot of movies, but I don't know if that's him wanting to do that or if him, like, going, like, paycheck, paycheck, mm -hmm. you know, just wanting to make that money. But the Jungle Cruise, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of cute, kind of nice. He's still the rock, but... Uh, different kind of he's more like the, he's more like dad rock to me mm. yeah i heard from a lot of parents in my friend group that this was just like a great fun thing to watch with the kids it was appropriate I mean, for everyone everyone had a good time and I mean, my child was like negative three months <laughs> so i went there for myself yeah, <laughs> but me and danielle honestly i looked at her because like we just want we we only went to get bonus credits for regal because if you see like three like if you see a certain sling of movies and we'd already seen mm. like two of them and the Jungle Cruise was the last one. So it was like, fuck it, let's just go. And then I walked out and I looked at her and I was like, you know what? The only thing I hate about this movie is that I loved it. <laughs> but it uh, it just, it generally, uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Jesse Plemons. Um, but this guy, he's just an actor that I really like. And he plays the bad guy. And he's kind of a bad guy. And not like really a bad guy, but like the way he plays it isn't like the classic kind of disney way and there's a little bit more violence in this movie hmm. than i really really thought disney's really taken their reins off of like yeah no people can die kids can take it and it's not like oh maybe they got away it's like no that guy died hmm. he died died like he's dead well i'm sure they're gonna pull pirates of the caribbean with it where they fight tooth and nail to get not pg-13 and then lose but yeah no i don't think so because after the whole thing with alec baldwin on the set of that film rust and stuff he and the rock went out of like a month later or something a few weeks 
sometime after that, he went out and made a statement that any project he's in moving forward and his own, like, movie studio, they're not going to use real guns. He, like, you know, just to prevent this thing and, like, you know, I mean, a lot of people could say he's just trying to ride that coattail, but I was like, no, I mean, he just sees a problem. A lot of stars, a lot of people, not just movie stars, have died this way in horrible accidents like this. So it's yeah. just... Yeah, just to give some context, what you're referring to is Alec Baldwin accidentally shooting a member of the crew on the film set for Rust. Say it one more time. It was a cinematographer. The cinematographer. Thank you. Um, the reason why that was really strange is because if even if you read through like manuals on like stage production, even just for like plays, they always say like guns, even fake guns, are like the most dangerous thing on there. Even if they're not real, they could be used for anything. Like they're always supposed to be under lock and key. They're checked all the time. There's somebody responsible for that. So it's just strange that something like something in the chain must have really gone wrong for something like this horrible to occur. So I think it definitely demands a firmer like cracking down on things. And I think big stars like The Rock saying something for that is only going to help make that better. Even if he, like you said, it's just writing like the... Oh, I mean, I don't think that's what he's, I don't think that's what he's doing. Because like, I mean, you know. He's on a lot of action movies. I'm sure there's... Yeah, exactly. And you know, and he knows, he knows his influence. And Mm -hmm. like... It was, uh, it was, like, loaded improperly. I, like, went and read some stuff about it because I was like, how does this happen? There's also a lot a lot of statements about how um, I don't... I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the victim's name, but she, as a cinematographer, had been pressing a lot on the set to be to have more uh, safety controls, other weapons, stuff like that. Mm. The cinematographer was the one who was shot and killed. The director, I believe, was wounded, and then there was a third crew member who uh, was shot at, but, she, you know... She did not receive any wounds, and now she has opened up a lawsuit with the studio. But she's also opened a lawsuit directly against Alec Baldwin, and it's been mm. a lot really hush hush about like the reasons behind it. So now there's, of course, the rumor mongering that like it, you know it wasn't as accidental as it, it was supposed to be, which I'm sure is you know I'm sure that's blown out there. But there is definitely more to this than just a misfire. Mm-hmm. Um, there uh, negligence most likely has been involved. At least that production member believes so. To kind of back that up, uh, one thing I was reading, uh, I don't remember this uh, this woman's name. There's a position on film set, which I didn't know. It's called, like, the head armorer. Mm-hmm. And they're basically mm-hmm. in charge of, like, all the stuff. So it was yep. her job, and it was, like, her first time, like, loading and, like, being in charge or something. So I, like, when I first read that, I was like, you know what? I don't know if this is, like, somebody just trying to throw somebody under the bus or something. But, I mean, that's probably what that person is referring to about the negligence because it was this person's first time. And then, you know, mm-hmm. first time, three people, you know, one one fatal injury, two other injuries. Just horrible stuff. Yeah. So, back to the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> a lot of people died. I mean, if I can give you a rough estimate, I'm going to say at least 25. In the Jungle Cruise movie? Uh, yeah. That's I, pirates. exactly what I said to myself. <laughs> Just like that. I was like, this is the Jungle Cruise movie. With the and- fun little animals. <laughs> no. There were no animals. That's a lion. <laughs> the only animal in there was the rock. Oh, and there was one other animal. Spoiler free. You'll have to see what happens. And, you know, I'll throw this back to Emily Blunt. Uh, she did try to do all of her own stunts. Respect. Well, I- I'm sure respect. she did her own action scenes. Yeah, she stunt she, work is a separate category that Disney would never allow 
Unless you're like Tom Cruise and you just insist on... We're gonna have to fact check this because I think stunt work. It might, it might have been it might have been action scenes, but yeah. there weren't all. I think in even her stunts was like running banisters and then like swinging from a swing. Oh, okay. So okay. like, I know she's had some training on things like Edge of Tomorrow, so mm-hmm. there might be precedent for them to allow her to do some of the yeah, minor well, work. But stunt to. work, it all is also like its own unionized thing, and mm-hmm. you know, I think, anyways. Yeah. Well, I. It's that's it, actually super interesting because like there's this whole special insurance for like stunt people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Danielle was telling me about it and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, alrighty, that was the Jungle Cruise. Now it's back to Brian and he's going to be oh, talking man. about Dimension Twenty, which is an RPG show. Can you explain to people what that is in the first place? Okay, so tabletop role playing games, things like Dungeons Dragons, you know, Pathfinder, so on and so forth. Um, in the past few years, especially with the advent of Critical Role, actual sh- shows recording the actual gameplay of these games, these game groups, has become far more popularized, especially through Critical Role. And one of the shows that came out through College Humor was uh, Dimension 20. It came out on College Humor's uh, paid-for site, uh, dropout. The thing that I find so particularly interesting about this show is the fact that, you know, whereas with some shows like Critical Role, you know, you get a dramatized experience, a very fantastic experience. Dropout, se- I mean, sorry, Dimension Twenty's goal seems to be to show a more truthful experience of um these tabletop games where it's more casual, it's more friends sitting at a table, uh, having fun with it. But also, I cannot help but point out their strong sense of representation. Whereas with a lot of these other shows, you get a very, you know, for lack of a better word, a very white cast. Mm -hmm. Dimension 20 has had so many game masters and players who a lot of a lot of women a lot of women of color and even going so far as having Persephone Valentine a very prominent trans social media starlet playing their game as well it just shows not only like what these games are actually like give you a more truthful experience but it also kind of breaks down that kind of stereotype that you know these fantasy games these games that people have so much fun are you know like a white thing you know Mm -hmm. um it makes it a lot more safe feeling for a lot of people who want to get into these things that like oh yeah no they they do this it's cool it's good this is fun i i you know i have someone that i can relate to um it just gives a stronger presence of that and i have a lot of respect for that with the mass layoffs that college humor suffered in 2020 there was a lot of doubt that it would be coming back but this past year, Brennan Lee Mulligan announced that the that the series would be continuing, and they started up again back in August with their uh, latest series. But yeah, I it, I strongly recommend it. You don't have to get the paid subscription to watch some of it, at least taste it. YouTube has a lot of their clips there, but they also mm-hmm. have some of their full campaigns for free that you can watch there to you know test the waters there. But the other thing I note with it that I find really well done is they have a strong stringent for taking making worlds for their games which are not the standard fancy like probably one of my favorite that brennan runs is uh i believe it's called sleepless city if i remember correctly uh, unsleeping city unsleeping city it is dungeon dragons fifth edition but it takes place in a 
fantasized um, New York City, like early early nineteen hundreds, mm. bring okay, bring a lot of people to this dream world realm. So it's basically it still has the magic, it still has the swords like that, but it's like basically play your you know nineteen twenties New York mobster, um, <laughs> even to the point that Brendan gives a fantastic performance as one of the primary antagonists, Robert Moses, who's based off the actual Robert Moses, who was a you know, a politician in New York at the time who, through his memoirs, which were released earlier this century, um, hmm. found out that he was a very, he did a lot of very morally ambiguous things. He was known to be a part, a, you know, kind of a dickhead. <laughs> um, and so he, you know, he, Brennan takes this because he's a very strong like, history buff. He knows his stuff when it comes to that. And he runs with it to make a very like, intimidating antagonist from that to based off a real life person. So it's basically taking real life iconics. Another one that I like is the the Seven, which they've always had Fancy High. That's like one of their biggest running series. It's, you know, a fancy high school. Mm-hmm. And so the Seven is basically a, a number of their prominent female players taking on the roles of these characters and doing their own storyline. And so it's something I never see an all tabletop game where like all the players are women. It's just got a little bit of something for everyone who, you know, you know, critical role is great, but if you get a little tired of that wants something a little bit more fresh, like it's there too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually kind of exciting because, you know, as an avid role-playing game player throughout my life, I, you know, and like, you know, conversations that we've had personally, not that you've like super influenced my decision, but like watching Critical Role, at first I was in love with it. I loved everything about it, but like kind of the more and more I watch it, the more I realize how alienating it actually is. Yeah, that's a big complaint that's come from the tabletop community because you get a lot, because with 5th edition coming out, Gross. <laughs> because it's such a simplified system. There's a lot of new player base comes through, which is the greatest thing that happened for Wizards of the Coast. Mm. That's their entire point. So, of course, they're going to do it like this. But a lot of these people don't really understand the history behind it. And a lot of people that attach it, attach it to Critical Role. Critical Role is fantastic, but Critical Role is also a bunch of trained actors and voice actors. And this is the... Sorry, I just want to give a little bit of context. This is the show that's, would you say, most popular or popularized this? Yeah. Of people playing... Yeah, yeah, oh, like critical, critical yeah. wave of people, but like in this new wave of people, because they watch the series, which is a bunch of paid voice actors, tra- you know, trained trained actors who are being paid to this, making a living off of it, mm-hmm. doing like the best ever. You get a lot of players or game masters who expect this quality from your average player, mm-hmm. and that is extremely alienating for a lot of people. So there's a, you know, there is a good amount of people who strongly dislike critical role. I think that it's too much hate because I mean, you have to be, if you can actually separate that this is a drama, Mm -hmm. then it's a good watch. But Mm -hmm. for those people, if you want to introduce them to like what the game is more like dimension 20 is a good option for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't watched it. Love college humor. Uh, so I'll definitely check. I mean, I was going to check it out because of college humor anyways, but that makes it a lot more exciting because Critical Role is awesome. I mean, it's like the Super Bowl every fucking week for what D&D should be, it, but it's not what D&D is. It's mm-hmm. like what everybody hopes, what everybody wants out of their regular group of regular old fucking people. And if you watch Critical Role a lot, you know, they have the certain cast of characters who 
in my opinion, I think are really boring because they all play the same kinds of characters. They're just like, oh, but I'm a different class. But you're the same person. You're Woody Harrelson, okay? Anytime, any movie, whatever you do, all I see is Woody Harrelson. <laughs> you're a great actor. I love you, Tallahassee. Woody Harrelson is not in Critical Role. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm, just, I'm referencing the fact that anytime I see Woody Harrelson on screen, all I see is Woody Harrelson. White men can't jump. I has all I saw was Woody Harrelson. Saw Venom too. All I saw was Woody Harrelson. Like he does not transform into a character. He transforms into Woody Harrelson into that universe. He's just a dimension hopping crazy person to me. So like when people that aren't at that level join Critical Role, it gets really awkward. And it's Matt, right? The D- the Matt Matthew Mercer. He gets kind of. A little like his panties get bunched up a little bit and it makes me want to slap him across the face <laughs> because I'm like, bro, this game is this game was made for people like that who don't know what they're doing. Like you get paid to do this. These other people showed up for a day, didn't know how to play. And you're just like getting upset with them. Mm-hmm. The thing that I really like is when they bring people on that play a lot, <laughs> a lot of role playing games and they get in there and they start fucking everything up. <laughs> and it's just like. Yes, because they I, they I feel their only mission in there is to go there and tear down the fantasy that Critical Role portrays that D&D is because everybody, which also bugs me, every single person at that table goes where the story tells them to go to, which is very uncharacteristic. I mean, if you're a person and somebody tells you to go where to go, you're not always going to do that. Well, but the, again, it's a show. It's yeah. probably pre-written, pre-scripted. I, 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 I'm sure. And well, I think that they have like a, a general feel, but a lot of it's improv. But yeah, like that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's mm-hmm. going to go where it's supposed to go. It comes down to like you have to be able to separate it from a drama and reality. But a lot of people who watch Critical Role don't see that mm-hmm. as a dramatized version of tabletop. And so that's why they expect that. But yeah, I would I would definitely give more attention to Dimension Twenty, another really good season that they have. You can get a hold of. It's called um, Undying Crown, I believe it's called, or Crown of Flame. They actually had Matthew Mercer guest star as one of the players. It is a parody of the Lord of the Rings. It's basically awesome. they play at, the members play as the advisors to the um, King of Shadows, hmm. who has just died, and they have to deal with the aftermath of everything like that and a lot of you know a lot of tropes come in you know suddenly eagles come and save them or a ghost army comes or you know one, one of the one of the heroes died but then they came back to like oh i'm not actually dead yeah they sent me back so what's up um so yeah i that one definitely watch for like comedy they're all pretty funny uh in general but i think that that one's a good kind of introduction as long as you know you know the lord of the rings i like that um, we're closing out with Dylan. 21st of August was the 34th annual SummerSlam professional wrestling event. Here it comes. WWE, baby. <laughs> I had to, I actually had to Google as I was putting this list together. Is wrestling the fake one? <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> That's what the internet said, too. <laughs> well, it's like. I mean, it's scripted fights, of course. But, but there's like, still people being physical and being athletic. I mean, they're, and they're fighting. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're, you can't fake throwing somebody right. six feet off a ladder. Like, that's real. That's real. And the, <laughs> the more and more I like, have watched behind-the-scenes wrestling stuff, the more and more I just love in wrestling. 
uh, they, there's this thing called receipts, um, which is when wrestling gets real. So, like, if you do a move and you're a little too stiff, so, you know, you hit them a little too hard, they'll give you a receipt. So, they'll, like, you know, if you hit somebody right back, they'll hit you super hard. And there's so many stories. Shane McMahon uh, busted Chris Jericho's nose because he hadn't wrestled in, like, like I, it was a, I don't remember exactly how long, but he came. I don't remember what event was, but he came out all excited. It's been, like, 10 years or something. He popped him in the face really hard, super quick. So when Chris Jericho hit him <laughs> with an like off the like off the turnbuckle, like you know you know what a wrestling ring looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so off the top turnbuckle, mm-hmm. he jumped up and he drop kicked him square in the face, and like made sure to hit him as hard as he could. And like if you pay attention, he's like a little dazed and confused after. And then like he gets up and he's like, "Calm the fuck down." <laughs> so it's just like stuff like that just makes it amazing. Uh, but I brought up SummerSlam specifically this year. SummerSlam is the first time, or this is the first SummerSlam that I've watched live since I was like 12. Since watching wrestling seriously, like I stopped maybe when I was like 14, it's been like 16 years. Mm. And when I was watching wrestling, women were objects. Any woman, Any woman watching wrestling back then knows exactly what I'm talking about. Very few women actually got to be anything other than just an object i mean as much as i love stacy keebler and her legs you know like i would have loved to seen her actually throw down and go on some serious matches are the matches um co-ed or is it only like women against women men against yes and yes so there's there's mixed tag team matches Uh. and tag teams can be anything like three on three two like two on two but so if you're in a mixed tag match it's like a man and a woman the woman has to be in if the woman's the legal person in then the other woman from the other team has to be in. Um, and oh, then so, okay. so if there's okay. men, like, you know, that's how it works in the WWE. Uh, AEW, I think now they're doing a lot more stuff where they're having women actually wrestle men. So, like, they sometimes do it, but primarily women just fight women. But women wrestling, when wrestling started, was more like, it was more like wrestling. And then, like, you hit, like, the Ruthless Aggression era in, like, the 90s. Like, mid-90s to, like, kind of early 2000s. It was lingerie matches, mm. you know, um, oh my gosh, Braun Panty, or no, Braun Panty's matches is lingerie matches that were strip matches and stuff like that. Like, all their storylines were about their bodies or stuff like mm. that, you know. Bringing in a new recruit was like, oh, let's haze her by saying, like, she won a contest, she can't be in here. But let's initiate her by all taking her to the shower and, like, showing her ass and, like, rubbing water on it and slapping it and going, <laughs> So, you know, and like being like a 12 year old boy, I'm like, yeah, come on. (laughs) Like, it was awesome. But, you know, being like now where I am, it's like I appreciate wrestling a lot more. And like a lot of women like Natalia, Tamina, they were back. They were really fighting for and they were doing anything that they said, doing what it's being whoever they wanted, told them to be doing any and everything just to be in the industry. Mm -hmm. And they started Mm -hmm. fighting for their rights. And you know, like Michelle McCool, oh my gosh, Kelly Kelly, a lot of like a lot of the women were back then were really fighting for rights to like promote things and stuff, and it just slowly, slowly but surely started going. And then Charlotte Flair, Bailey, Sasha Banks, uh, the man Becky Lynch started joining, or they joined NXT, and then like you know, athleticism actually got in there. Bianca Belair, Naomi, like real athletes started showing up and by when i mean like real athletes like some of these women 
they're like way more impressive than like some of the men. And these matches have been like amazing. And like I brought up WrestleMania because uh, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks had one of the most like one of the best WrestleMania matches in history. And one for that to be said about a women's match. Incredible. Two for it to be two African-American women against each other. Just goes to show you how far wrestling, especially for women, I mean, wrestling as a company and for the women's division, where it's gotten and like where it's come. And Bianca Belair's become one of my favorite wrestlers, period. Super athletic. So I, I have a question. So would you say that the body types of women, since you were watching it when you were 12, they changed from being like just looking like models to actually having muscles and being more fit and well some of the models back then were fit had muscles but back then it was you had to be a model like you were it was more like you're a model not a wrestler you so, had to be attractive first c conventionally you didn't even have to wrestle yeah you just had to be attractive i there's not a lot of like specific matches about SummerSlam. I, you know, I talked about that one, mm -hmm. but there were a lot of matches have, weren't like crazy impressive. It just was like the first pay-per-view of the year that I got to watch. And it was like, man, I fucking love wrestling. And I just, I, I love mm -hmm. it. I only wanted to put it on there just so I could talk about wrestling. <laughs> nice. um, and I just wanted to bring up Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks and all the ladies. Cause to me, SummerSlam, you know, SummerSlam had a lot of women, it had a lot more women's matches than I'm, than I'm used to seeing, which isn't bad, but it's like, hell yeah, we're finally getting somewhere. And these women matches aren't like, oh my God, girls are wrestling. Let's go mm -hmm. get a snack. <laughs> Cause like, you know, with those models, they can do a whole lot of stuff, but like, like Naomi and uh, Bianca Belair, like they're super athletic. They are, they work so hard. So it's it's nice. I just love it, and I know my daughter's the only way I'll become a professional wrestler because I have tendonitis <laughs> in my ankles, and I got to get in shape. I might have like six years left, but that's all me and my wife want. We just want her to be in, and then I'll be her manager, and that'll be the only way. <laughs> Most people want their kids to be ballerinas. <laughs> yeah, their daughters to be something. No, I want my daughter to be the first United Women's Champion. <laughs> uh. Anyways, that's it. That's oh. 2021. We yeah. went through everything. Thank you so much for being on. You can find the podcast at modernlifepodcast.com and Instagram and Twitter at modernlifepod. Do you guys have any social media handles or anything that you want to plug? No. Or no? <laughs> not, not yet. I mean, maybe one day, but not For now. your daughter's wrestling career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>